Well, good afternoon, everybody. As you might have guessed, I'm very excited for this week's show and this week's guest in particular. Uh, Bronwyn Scrivens is an industrial real estate broker and a, and a good friend of mine. And she's one of my favorite people in the industry for a few reasons. One, she's a natural thought leader and discusses a number of awesome topics as it relates to the industrial real estate market. But she's also just a great broker, one of the best brokers I that I know. So it's an honor to have her on the show. And we're going to talk about a number of things. We're going to talk about uh, her journey getting into industrial real estate brokerage, how she got into it, some of the things that have made her successful along the way. And then we might even jump into some of the topics that uh, that her and I've chatted about recently, uh, such as supply chain issues and technology and industrial real estate market. So we might jump into that as well. And then I also want to encourage any questions that come up, uh, whether you just want to hear uh, Bronwyn's thoughts on the industrial real estate market, or if you have specific questions about her journey as an industrial real estate broker, please feel free to put that in the chat and we'll answer as many questions as we can. And if you're watching this after, uh, uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, leaving a like on this or a comment, uh, even afterwards, that'd be greatly appreciated as well. Without further ado, it's my honor to uh, have Bronwyn join me on the show. Bronwyn, thanks so much for joining in. Thank you very much for having me here, Chad. That was a very, very high praise. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you go out of your way to produce some amazing content. And you and I have had the pleasure of being interviewed on, on an other podcast before where we were both guests. So it's neat being on this side where I get to put on the headphones and the mic and ask you questions specifically. So thanks again for joining in. And I want to jump right into it here as well. Uh, and again, I'd encourage anybody that's tuned in, feel free to ask any questions you have for Bronwyn. We'll cover as much ground as we can. You saw that I had a few points in there about wanting to get what's some tips that you'd have for people that want to succeed in industrial real estate brokerage. And then the next two sub points were joining network associations, uh, networking in general, as well as uh, content creation. And I'm sure that those latter two points did contribute to your success in, in a large part. So we'll dive into that in more detail. And then, like I mentioned in the intro, I also want to just discuss some more macro level uh, industrial trends, which we can jump into that uh, afterwards as well. But if you wouldn't mind starting, just uh, tell me about your journey getting into industrial real estate, why industrial real estate and, and where, where you've come to in this point so far. For sure. Yeah, no, I, uh, so I, I got into brokerage. <clears throat> I graduated from uh, a university out in the East coast of the United States. I went to Cornell and I was fortunate to be able to take a commercial real estate degree out there, which is really kind of what fostered my interest in getting into this career field. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just know I wanted to work in commercial real estate, which is pretty cool. Cause I feel like I'm part of that first generation of individuals that actually got to take some education in commercial real estate. It was available, uh, not everywhere, but it was available um, where I went in New York and, uh, and that got me going, which now we obviously have great programs here in Edmonton as well through the University of Alberta, through Nate, through Grant Mac. Um, but previous to that, you really didn't know how to get into the commercial real estate industry. I feel like so many people kind of just fell into it through the most random of ways. Um, but I, I knew I wanted to get into it. I started working at a commercial real estate uh, lending institution and quickly realized that was not the path for me, just being... Um, I feel like I'm quite motivated and I like to, I guess, reap the rewards from the work I put in. And I found that that job was very uh, linear and kind of nine to five, like you're in your desk, you're doing your work, you go home after. And, you know, I was hungry to get out and succeed. And I obviously clearly love to talk. So <laughs> I wanted to be more in a, a 
a customer facing role. Um, so I ended up uh, leaving, I went and did a bit of traveling and I came back and I was just by fortune uh, introduced to someone that worked at Cushman and Wakefield in Edmonton. Um, they weren't really advertising any positions, but just by the, the nature of luck, I would say uh, a position opened up within the industrial group there. And I was fortunate enough to kind of, again, fall into industrial real estate. I don't know that I particularly chose it, but uh, I do have experience just through my family with industrial real estate. And so um, for me, I, I kind of fell into it and I worked my way through that. And I love industrial real estate like yourself. I think we have a shared passion for that now. And um, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing than industrial real estate at this point. So now I'm working with a, a, an Edmonton-based firm called Amada Commercial. And um, it's great because we have a lot of autonomy. We can call whoever the heck we want to call. Um, and we're not bound by the restrictions that some of the corporate shops kind of have just being a bigger entity, uh, which has allowed me to do a lot of this type of stuff like you do, Chad, which, is, um, which has been great for, for my brand and for growing the business. Yeah, and you and I share a, a lot in common on that front because we both uh, have, you still do an active blog. I, I blogged for a number of years as well. We're both active on social media. Uh, both you and I love talking about industrial real estate. So we've been on podcasts and we just try and share as much information as we can. And I, that point you made about a, a lot of the larger companies having policies where, where they prevent you from doing it, or you've got to get HR approval to do it. There's people out there that I'm sure would love to create more content, but they're just restricted from doing it. So I'm glad that you uh, did make that move. Uh, your, your last brokerage is a great firm. There's a lot of great people there, uh, but the, you having content and adding to the community, what you, what you, at on a regular basis is is very valuable and and I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it at the at the end because i do want to actually jump into how you'd recommend to someone to cr start creating content on their own uh, but i guess one thing that that i would uh ask next is what's your experience as a broker right now you've you had a little bit of knowledge on it much like myself i didn't know anything about industrial real estate before i started so you have to kind of get that learning curve up and it's like drinking through a, a water hose where you're, you're trying to gobble up as much as you can but it's just it's a lot of overwhelming information what's been your journey from uh starting and and you can go back to your first firm where where you were more of an introductory role to now you're in a senior role at, at a at a smaller firm but it's still a noteworthy firm what's been your experience uh from a broker standpoint going from one firm to the next and and where where is things at for you right now yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, so I've been in the industry for about eight years now. Um, it's, it's interesting to look at kind of the transition of, of career and, and the things I've learned. Um, I feel like a lot of what I learned was by making mistakes, <laughs> unfortunately, it's doing things wrong or, or not asking the right questions or um, just not even knowing the right questions. Like you don't know what you don't know until you know it. And then you're like, oh crap, that's, that's something I need to lock away in the brain for later. Um, I think that it's a lot of trial by error. And uh, I think, I don't know, I mean, every, every firm is different, but I found it was a little bit of trial by error where you just kind of have to like jump in with two feet and prove that you are capable of getting out there and finding business. Ultimately, if you're going to be a, a broker, you need to be able to find business and bring business in, whether it's listings or tenant work or working with purchasers or, or whatever. I mean, you have to find ways to put yourself out there and differentiate. And what I found about the industry as a whole when I first started was it, and it may be a little bit still, is it, it was a little bit in the dark ages or a little bit behind what a lot of other industries are in. And I, 
I'm sure you've talked about this at length with other members on your podcast, but um, the residential sector does a much better job of marketing themselves on different means and trying to differentiate and probably because there's just way more competition within the residential sector that they're forced to kind of find those ways to to separate themselves from the crowd. Industrial, or I guess commercial real estate in general, it's been a pretty tight-knit community, and I, I would say it still is. And so we, I think a lot of brokers haven't felt the need or felt they had to kind of put themselves out there in unique ways um, because they've just always been able to get business done. I don't think that that's wrong. I just think that when you're starting out, and I found personally, like, I want to get as far as I can, as fast as I can, and just keep going and doing better and more and, and be more successful or whatever. And I'm sure a lot of brokers feel that way. And so for me, it was a bit more of the, the work smarter, not harder type thing. Like ultimately, we still are always going to have to make cold calls. We're always going to have to do that type of kind of basic salesmanship that you would require in brokerage. But for me, it was like, how can I amplify my image within our city or our province 10x or 20x doing the same amount of work so one blog that i can send to a thousand people or one video that three thousand people might see at the end of the day like i i always tell people i don't really i, I would love it if you read the blog the, the content and the blogs and i'd love it if you watch the videos but i i don't mind if you don't i really don't what i want is that you're seeing on a regular basis me and know that Brandon Scrivens works in industrial real estate. And that's really the goal of it is that how do you amplify your voice by doing one task, but making it a bigger, a bigger effect, if that makes sense. I think I dodged around a lot on that question. No, I loved it. I thought, I thought that was a great answer. And, and I want to dive deeper into that because I, I think there, there's a lot to unpack there. So first on the, you, oh, Beverly joined in. Beverly, you know, do you know Beverly? She, she's awesome. Uh, thanks for joining in, Bev. Uh, just before I ask my question, uh, Broadwood, Kelvin joined in too. Thanks for joining in the question. Well said. You don't know what you don't know until you know it. The school of hard knocks, lesson number one. It is so true. I remember when I took my first CCIM course in 2007, I, I left that being like, holy moly. Like I didn't even, I didn't even know that this was existed. I, I at the time I didn't have finance background. So I, I, th I remember thinking that same thing, school of hard knocks. You don't know what you don't know. Uh, but jumping into the uh, question on content, how do you, how do you approach it from a strategy standpoint? And, and per perhaps the answer is that you just write about what you want to write about, or you make videos about what you want to make videos about, but what, what's your, overarching strategy or goal with creating content? Yeah, so I would say that for me, uh, when I first started doing content, I wasn't really doing, I was doing the odd video here or there, but it was mostly written, written like yourself. I, I started with a, um, a blog. Uh, I probably was inspired by you and being like, man, Chad's got a really good blog, and, and you're you were so good about having it out every week and like kind of little sound bites, little things like what's going on in the market. And I found them to be very helpful when I started in the industry, um, just to kind of get information. Because again, I I think it it can be quite sheltered. Everyone's a little bit siloed and and protecting the information they have. And I get it. Like I get that that's your competitive advantage is having this you know finite sense of information. But the world is so connect so interconnected now and. To be honest, like I, I kind of feel like we're we are the cause of our industry being behind. Is that because we don't share and because we don't try and like elevate and bring everybody else up and get us to the next generation, it's keeping it back a little bit. 
And so that's what I loved about your your content that you were producing when you were writing all the blogs and even now with this, obviously, is that it allows people that are outside of the industry to say, oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, I didn't know that about commercial real estate or industrial real estate, or I didn't know that's how supply chain was affecting warehousing rates or or whatever it may be. It might even be just like, you know, this, the, the most common question we get asked, which is, what is a net lease? What is a triple net lease? What is a gross lease? We probably get asked that every single week. And to us, it is such common knowledge because we deal with it on a day-to-day basis. But for all for so many of the businesses that we deal with, it's not common knowledge. And to treat it like it is, is almost, I don't know, it's, it's, I don't like that. Like it's, it's, comes off as hierarchical in a sense like you don't know what that is it's of course they don't it's their first business and they're opening a shop and they want to buy go rent that warehouse they just need a bit of understanding and a bit of people to listen to them and to explain it to them in common sense terms that are not you know riddled with big words and language and whatnot and so long story short that's kind of how I started got it, getting into the writing side of it was what were things that I didn't know and again going back to all the things I was learning that I didn't know. And as I was learning them, I'm like, man, someone should be talking about this. I should have learned this. Someone should have taught me this. Or I wish I could have learned this before having to make the mistake (laughs) and then now have to, you know, have the repercussions of it. So I started writing articles and blogs about um, specific kind of uh, commercial real estate type items. But then I started, you know, looking at the broader, I really like the macroeconomic side of things and like how, everything kind of plays a part and is, is all interconnected. And, and I think you do as well. And so it was like my, my content got a little bit broader and broader and broader. And it's like, well, how is this affecting this? And how is that affecting that? And what I really found was I was writing about what I liked to, to learn about and things that I was reading about on a day-to-day basis, not only for my own interests, but to be honest, when I'm cold calling, I have things to talk about now. I can actually speak to what is going on in the market um, and provide some value. And I think ultimately the whole circle of this, this conversation that I think we're going to have is how do you provide value to your clients and to the influencers in the market and all those people that we interact with on a day-to-day basis that isn't just saying, hey, I'm Ron and Scrivens. I sell real estate. I'm amazing. Look at this deal I just did. That No one really cares that much about that. They care about what other value you can provide to them that is might actually impact their business on a day-to-day basis. And so, and so now my little videos are kind of, I guess, um, an add-on to the blog, but just trying to, again, amplify the voice of it and get those, the, that content out to more people. And video is just a great mechanism for that. There, I, we see eye to eye on so many things. Like we, we're, you're, we're like the yin yang. You're just, you're the female version of me. I'm the male version of you because I think exactly the same way that it's, uh, you got to provide value to the community. Otherwise you're just noise. And I, I'm a big believer that nobody goes on to LinkedIn or YouTube to hear a commercial about this is why we're the best firm and here's our mission statement and here, like nobody cares about that. What people want to come on is it, like you said, they want to learn, learn something new or they want to be informed, or they want to be educated about something. Uh, Perhaps it's not something that they didn't even know about, uh, but it just piqued their curiosity. But nobody's going on to hear a commercial. So I think that's probably one of the reasons why you were just uh, awarded a top LinkedIn influencer. Congratulations on that, by the way. Uh, But I I think that speaks to not just our philosophy on doing things, but I, I, I would hope that people can can resonate with that and, and see the 
potential benefits of providing value, about giving away information that has maybe historically been concealed or confidential or withheld from, from people, I take the same approach as you. I, I literally try to dump out everything that I can so I'm not holding anything back. I just try to provide as much information as I can with the hope that somebody sees it and maybe they're like, okay, well, I learned something on that, but I, I might have a blind spot here. Maybe he can help me. If they've watched a few videos, maybe they reach out to me. I think that that's a business development uh, tip that people can use is, is give, give things away as opposed to just saying, and Beverly gave a high five. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Beverly. And, and Beverly and, I, and you and I, Bronwyn are on the exact same page. She thinks the exact same way is you've got to provide something to the community so that they actually see some value in it as opposed to just coming across as an advertisement. Uh, so, so what I, I really want to get your insight on, on a, on a link on content creation, you're, you're advanced on this. You're a long way down your road. You've written a number of articles. You've got a website, you're active on social media. You're an award-winning LinkedIn uh, participant. You're farther down that road. What would you do? You started your career all over again, or if somebody was starting their career right now, what baby steps would you say to someone so they can start creating content? Yeah, and it's really an interesting one. And I and I'm I'm probably like you where I do get asked this quite a bit because we are active in this field. <clears throat> and you don't want to go out there and just again, like you said, just start spewing noise because that's actually can be <laughs> negative. It can have a, the, the opposite effect of what you're looking for when you're just providing like blah, like commercial real estate or just like spewing facts that someone's already said. Like you need to provide your value. Like what is your value? What do you know? that someone else might not know. It might be something you literally learned yesterday, but that was a valuable piece of information for you. And so it probably is a valuable piece of information for somebody else. I, If I was starting out today, and like this is kind of what I looked at when I was beginning to do content creation. Um, I mean, the nice thing is that LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter, um, you don't need to have a website. I, I have one, you have one. I just, I liked having, for me, the reason I created the website was because I wanted to own my content. Mm -hmm. And so... I want to know that everything I write is on my website and not posted on LinkedIn. And so therefore I have to, you know, they own it essentially. Right. Uh, so I just wanted to always have my information available to me and that it was my, my property. Uh, but if you don't want to go that route, which is, it's a lot of work. So it's not for the faint of heart. I would say there, there is a great post source on LinkedIn. There is a great way to post little bits of information on Instagram and Twitter and, and, and all these different other, I guess, mediums. But ask yourself the question of what, like, what questions do you ask other people? What other questions do people ask you as an expert? If you're a mortgage broker, what are, what are people asking you, like your customers? At the end of the day, yes, this information is for peers, like, like we share with each other. And I find it interesting what you do. And hopefully you find it interesting what I do. Yeah. But it's more for what we really want is that customers, that potential customers are seeing what we're putting out there. So like our, our specific user group, like our, our avatar or whatever you want to call it, the person that I'm trying to do business with, that's, that's the person I really want to cater to. I want to reach out to them and provide answers to them before they ask the question. So going back to the, the lease example. That is a question that we get asked all the time by the user groups that we're working with in the industrial asset class. Um, environmentals, that's another example. Like, and this is just very industrial specific, but every asset class would have that. Every job has specific questions that like the public, if you will, or your, your specific client is asking you on a regular basis. And that's where I would start and say, what are the top five things I get asked? 
what are the answers? And you can make five different posts about it. Do one a week and you're off to the races. And once you start doing it, and I mean, I think that's the other thing of this is that consistency is so key. Like you have to be doing it consistently and it's not just a one-off. A one-off is not effective. It has to be, I'm doing it once a month or I'm doing it once a day or I'm doing it once a week or whatever it may be that is works for your schedule. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be every day, but what works for your schedule and stick to it and, and say every, every second Tuesday, I'm going to post something and, and set the goal for yourself. That I'm going to provide some kind of content here that's valuable for my customer that when they have those questions, they're like, Oh, Joe, Joe does that. I know Joe does that because I've seen his posts and I, he was talking about those exact things I was thinking about. So that's kind of where I would start is those main you know, questions that you get asked on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, so profound. And I and I hope that somebody uh, takes that to heart because you gave some very actionable tips that people can do right now. Schedule, in, and I do this myself for, for the weekly podcast interviews. I started writing a newsletter on a more macro level as well. So I've got that scheduled on when I need to have it finished by. I've got this scheduled in my calendar. And then I know it's just that's blocked off. I know every Tuesday at this time I do an interview. So it's just blocked off. Uh, if you can start blocking that off, like you said, Brown, do it once every two every two weeks put a time in your calendar where you're going to record a quick 60 second video that you could put on instagram or youtube or linkedin or just send out to your to your network and it can, i love the point about what five questions are you getting asked the most because if one person's asking you there's many more people that are asking that question and they might not know where to turn to so let's say somebody's in los angeles and a question they often get asked is what are the vacancy rates in the inland empire if some one person's asking that question a lot of people are so record a quick video the stats just came out vacancy rates are in inland empire is probably sub one percent right now uh we're seeing a lot of downward pressure on on uh on vacancy rates it's leading rental increase shortage of warehouse space do a quick video without a without like a salesy call to action about i'm the expert in industrial real estate you need to call me avoid all that just provide 60 seconds of pure value and if you committed to doing a short 60 second video like that once every two weeks after a period of time you're quickly going to get known as the guy or girl that's the expert in that space so a fantastic idea i love that i hope i hope people take some action on that because it doesn't need to be crazy uh you can always add more things i think that's the beauty of content creation is that you can always add more things you can add like a video production uh studio or upgrade your equipment like this of uh, this mic here as an example you can always add that stuff on after i started using my the audio on my computer when i started doing these podcasts and if you go back and look at the audio quality of interview number one to where it's at now it's improved but i did that over time once i saw that I can do this more consistently and I can commit to it, but just take that first step. Just what I love that point up around. It's such a great point. What are five questions you get asked all the time? How can you write a quick article, throw it on LinkedIn, make a quick video about it. That's a very easy way to start getting your name out there. So love it. Uh, any other uh, tips you'd have for someone if, if they want to get started? I know you covered a lot, so if we can move on, if, if that kind of covered everything you had on your mind. Yeah, I can. One thing I can do is talk and talk and talk. So, so, so can I. Um, we share that. <laughs> it's um, it's it's interesting because like I and I see this a lot in our industry. At the end of the day, the people that are, are going to reach out to you, whether it's a landlord or developer or or a business or a client. Again, this, I'm speaking in commercial real estate, but this can really apply to any business or industry. Um, 
they're they're they tend to reach out to people that have provided them with value before you've asked for something in return. So like if you have someone that you are really wanting to earn their business, company X, what like send company X something once a month that's telling them not not a templated industrial real estate report or a templated report that they can find online. Send them a stat once a month. Hey, did you know that uh, this building was leased at this rate and uh, we're seeing a lot of activity in this quadrant of the city? Um, let us know if you have any questions on the market. Fire it off next month. Same thing. And send it to five people. Send it to 10 people. Send it to whoever. Like that can be a marketing campaign where those little soft touches. And by, when the time comes when that company probably does have a requirement or a building come up, that you will be top of mind, at least one of. It's not to say that you're going to just get the business for free, but you, you will be of consideration because you gone out of your way to provide them with value that they can't necessarily get on their own because they're not having these conversations every single day. And going back to sharing information, it's like you're trying to answer questions before they ask them of you. So like, what are those questions? Again, going back to those top five or whatever, like what question can I answer? If you want, like it's all about, you know, clicks and, and getting people to like dig deeper into what you have in order for someone to click on your video or your link or your, your tweets, it has to be something that is of interest to them. So therefore you have to come up with those answers or those questions prior to them even thinking about them in a sense, right? So again, it's just kind of always being on your toes. And as far as, um, again, once you get through those kind of five or whatever questions or, or items that you think are of interest to your to your market or your customer base, um, literally take your phone with, like we all have our phones on us all the time. If you are out on a tour or you're out with a client and they ask you, Oh, that's a good question. Write a note in your in your notes in your phone. Great. Now I've got another content tab. Now I've got another blog I can write. Now, that, now I've got another video I can do just by these little tiny questions. And I would agree with you that it's almost better if it's short and sweet. Like you do such a good job with these videos. They're long, long content based and they become podcasts as well. This is like way, way, way advanced. And I would say most people have very small attention spans. So it's like really you just want to capture them for 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, get them with a little bit of information enough to click on your video or click on your article or whatever, skim through it. That's it. That's all you really want is just a little soundbite of their time because everybody is so busy. But the only reason, the only way you get their time is by providing something that they might be asking or thinking is useful for them. So, um, and at the end of the day, like, you know, again, going back to sharing information, you know, I think, again, the old school way is that, oh, it's my information. This is my competitive advantage. If I share it, I'm not going to have that advantage. And they're just going to go do business with someone else or, or use this information and go do it. It's like, if they're going to do that, they're going to do that. That's that's not your customer, right? Like, mm -hmm. you are looking for people that might find that valuable. And most people are loyal. I, I think, like, there's this I don't know, there's this myth, I think, that oh, there's no one's loyal in commercial real estate. Everyone will just jump around and do whatever. Okay, to a certain extent. But at the same time, if you're the person that's constantly providing them with value and not asking for anything in return, they do remember that and they will come reach you. And it comes down to the relationships that you're creating through this, uh, as opposed to just those those cold calls that are, are you know, you're, one, you're a dime a dozen. 
Uh, Beverly, yes, build that content bank, Bronwyn. I, I completely agree. And and I just, uh, thanks, Bev. And, and actually, Bev and I did an interview where we dove into uh, social media in more detail. It was about a month ago. I don't know, Bev, if you're able to put that link in there. If not, I'll add it in later. But Bev is, uh, like like I said earlier, she's right on the same page as us. Uh, she She's a social media, media strategist. I, she doesn't like being called a guru, so I won't call her a guru, but a strategist. So she's got a lot to say on that as well. And we know that if we got a social media strategist agreeing with us, we're, we're on the right page on that. Uh, one thing that I would just add in as well that, that I've, I found helpful about social media is it really allows you to show your personality. And like you said, this, the podcast is, is aggressive. It takes a lot of effort to produce these shows and it's not for the faint of heart for sure. But what I really love about these podcasts is not only do I get to learn more about the guests, but uh, you being the guest get to display your personality. And I'm sure that anybody who, who might not have known you before, Bronwyn would, would all of a sudden get to see your personality as opposed to uh, putting out a, a, a brochure on LinkedIn and saying, I just took on this listing when a lot of people aren't going to care they instead get to see your personality so don't be afraid to anybody that's listening don't be afraid to show a little bit of your personality as opposed to always just being a like a bland business person that's dressed up uh like sometimes i'll, I'll wear a t-shirt for these or or i will wear a suit uh, i spilled coffee on one of my shirts once and i i i I think the mic covered it. So it wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but I had coffee on my shirt. I was like, well, show has to go on. But th th I think that just speaks to the ability to somewhat connect with the audience by showing your personality. So I think if, like you said, Bronwyn, if you can put out valuable content where people are going to find it informative and helpful, you can do it consistently and then show your personality through it. I think that's just a winning strategy, particularly if you can give yourself enough time uh, uh, that people can really start connecting with you. I, I, I think that that's a foolproof way to, to start benefiting from social media. Yeah, and I would agree 100% with that is that in fact, if you're if you're not showing your personality, and you're too, um, I don't know, starchy, I don't know if that's the right word. But if you're too, too poison and put together and reading off, like if you, you I see videos all the time where people are reading, you can tell they're reading off a script. And you're like, Oh, this is not good. This is not a good video. Like it shows it shows us robotic. Like you want to be a person. You want to be a person that they feel comfortable that like, oh, I can give Chad a call. I can give Broadman a call. Like she's going to answer a question for me or help me out and not make me feel dumb a or make it seem like it's a silly question or that they actually are like humans mm -hmm. <laughs> and that there's someone that I think I would like to work with. I don't like the videos where you're reading off a script. I get it when you feel uncomfortable like videos are you definitely have to like even myself every time I do a video I feel like a little nervous like you it it's something that you have to kind of grow into but like it's great like people want to see who you are and how you talk and really the best way to do a video is just have like three points or five points you want to hit and just kind of remember like the word like vacancy I don't know uh sale price blah blah, blah. like whatever those three things you want to do and just be able to talk about it like like a human um that is very very important uh because again going back to the, the robotic nature of some videos like again i think it's a deterrent i think it's a negative when you come off as too um i guess not like a real person it's funny you say that because when i record my videos i try to imagine that i'm talking to somebody and if you go into that in, in with that mindset you're not going to go up to a potential client and say 
the vacancy rate was 5% and it was down 25 basis points from Q3. But that would just be ridiculous. Like the person would just be like, <laughs> I've got a meeting, I've got a hard stop I got to get to. But if you're like, you know, we're seeing some movement in the market right now and it's actually vacancy rates have come down and this is what it means. If you have that more fluent conversation, I think you're just going to resonate with the audience, whether it is one person that watches your video or whether it's hundreds of people. I think if you have that approach that you're talking to somebody, you're not, because I, I agree, those those boring scripted videos are are tough to watch actually it's sometimes i just look at them like just give me the bullet points like i, I can go through this faster myself than having to like watch you labor over the some of the tough words in there like why did the editor put that word in there just give me the bullet points but if, if someone came out and had an engaging conversation i want to tune into that stuff i'm a, I'm a content uh, absorber myself. I love content. I love everything that people put out about industrial real estate, even just business and macro news. And when it's delivered in an entertaining and valuable fashion, I'm, I'm a consumer of that type of content. So love it. Uh, thanks for uh, expounding on that as well. Uh, I want to shift over to networking because I think this is another huge strength of yours. You've been very involved with, with uh, NAOP and crew, and I'm a big proponent of NAOP. If, for people that have caught other videos of mine, I mention NAOP all the time. Uh, I, th I think it's one of the best organizations uh, an individual in their market can belong to. Before you get into the power of networking and what you benefit from it, can you just give an overview of both NAOP and crew? Yeah, so NAOP is the commercial real estate de development organization. So basically, it's going to, the membership is going to be, uh, to, in our city anyway, and I believe it's like this in most cities, from my experience anyway, is that it's kind of the who's who of the development side. So that would be actual developers, uh, it would be uh, brokers, it would be bankers, lawyers, um, planners, like city planners, architects, uh, space design, like literally anyone that you can think of that would be involved in the process of commercial real estate development. And it is commercial real estate based. So um, it's really an impactful, I guess, organization to get to know your peers in the industry. And these are the people I would cons consider the influencers, like the people that you, they might not specifically need you to help them find the building for themselves, unless you're in office leasing, perhaps they do. But for me, they don't, I don't technically do business with you know with the architect or with with the city planner or with the lawyer but they have clients who probably will need your service or will need the service of a broker at some point in the future so those are the influencers that you want to get in front of and again let them know in these ways through communication like through events through whatever that you're not just um, that you have some value to provide that you're an intelligent person and that you know what you're doing when it comes to X, Y, and Z. And so that's what I found is really impactful with uh, NAOP. NAOP for sure helped me grow my presence, uh, grow confidence in the industry. I found that everyone was very, very open to having conversations, to trying to like elevate me and bring everyone up. I felt it was very team building and collaborative. And um, for me, I found it definitely helped me to, to grow my career just by knowing that uh, you know people in the industry, they respect you and that you can kind of get get your information out there and, and, and whatnot. Um, Crew is the commercial real estate women organization. It is not just for women. <laughs> it is predominantly women, but men can join it as well. But it's again, just another organization designed for uh, women that are in the field. Uh, there are a few of us, but we are growing. Um, and to try and help elevate and and provide uh, mentorship and education and 
you know, referrals if we can to other uh, ladies in the field. And um, there's some uh, heavy hitters, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> so you're one of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. But that's uh, so that's been really good as well, just to kind of learn uh, or meet some of the other commercial real estate, uh, I guess, ladies in the field, which are, again, they could be lawyers, accountants, space planners, like you name it, uh, but have some relationship to this industry. Um, I think that it's very important to get involved in those organizations, because if you're just kind of sitting behind closed doors in your office trying to get work done, at the end of the day, it goes back to what we kind of started this conversation off, which is how do you amplify your voice 10x by doing one action? Okay, so by joining an organization like that, what the work that I'm doing now, 10 people know what I'm doing, as opposed to just me or just the few people I'm, I'm, cold, I'm cold calling or I'm meeting every day. How do you get your voice out there to more and more people? And that's how you get referrals. That's how you get, um, you can refer to other people. So like one thing that I love doing <laughs> is having really great referral partners because I, you know, we're a bit of a jack of all trades in the brokerage industry where we're like, know a little bit about a lot of things, but I wouldn't say that, like, I would like to say we're experts at being salespeople and brokers and getting a deal from start to finish. But like, I'm not an expert in law. I'm not an expert in tax structures i'm not an expert in environmentals i know quite like enough to be enough to sound smart and to get me to get me to that next stage but when someone actually needs a really um intelligent partner to help them with an issue or to help them work through something i have people that i can connect them to and they're i'm meeting them through these organizations and you know what it makes me look smarter when i have a really good referral partner that i can send business to because i'm again providing solutions to people and providing value to them and I don't have to do anything for it except for have those great relationships it's it's a it's a win-win 100% yeah JT just uh put in a comment referral program equals smart yeah I, I 100% agree uh Bev Early I keep calling her Bev and I know she gets mad at it she'll probably put a comment in in Catfox and Beverly uh that's great because it's definitely a boys club from my experience well th- let, let's let's go down that. I, I want to explore because I saw another comment come in earlier. Oh, I uh, just put that up. Uh, LG, have you faced any hurdles by being female in this business? What has the experience been like for you? So I want to I want to delicately go into this conversation because I I don't think that there needs to. I don't think we need to differentiate between men and women brokers because I I look at you as just a broker. I just look at you as a really good broker. I wouldn't say, oh, Bronwyn's a female broker. I'd just say Bronwyn is a broker. So I'm cognizant that I don't, and you see the commercial real estate women, there's an association mostly uh, geared towards women. I still, I I don't think we necessarily need to draw that fine line. I just, I I think you're a broker. I, I think any ethnicity is, is a broker. I don't think that we have to say that there's a, a Chinese broker. Like that, that would just seem so strange to me. I just think it's a broker. But I think that this is a topic that comes up. And I've, I've talked to a, a number of women over the years who were either reticent or apprehensive to get into the business because they thought it would be tough. So I'll, I'll let you answer however you're comfortable with. But you being a, a, a female broker, <laughs> again, I don't I would never call you a female broker, but you being a broker that is a female, what what has your experience been? And there was a couple of questions like like Beverly said, uh, boys club from her experience. The other person asked, uh, why, if you don't mind pulling up that other one, hurdles being it, what has the experience been like for you? I'll let you answer it however you're comfortable. Yeah, it's it's one of those things you kind of have to uh, put some uh, gloves on to handle the question because um, you're, it is for sure... Uh, 
majority, I would say men in the commercial real estate, uh, especially brokerage. Brokerage is a, is a unique, a unique asset or a unique industry in itself. Um, but my personal experience is that just like you or the way that you're portraying it, I, I'm just being viewed as a broker. And I don't feel like I personally have been in any way negatively um, looked at because I'm a female. If anything, I, I would say a lot of people are quite excited. They're like, oh, great. Like, mm-hmm. we, we've been wanting to work with a female broker. We've been wanting to work with a female. So if anything, I think it's been more positive than the negative or feeling like I'm not able to succeed because of my gender. I think at the end of the day, sales is sales. and if you're a good salesperson, you're a good salesperson. If you're able to kind of make those connections and build those relationships. And I would say one thing that I, I think a lot of women are really good at is we listen. Like we actually listen to what the person is telling us. And that is very valuable in our industry. It's not just talking over someone or trying to get out the point that you want to say it's no, it's like, what is their actual problem and how can we help them? And I, and I think there's actually a really a really big opportunity for women in commercial real estate because I do think we're listeners and I do think we're good at communicating. And, and I think that, yes, it has typically been men and there it is predominantly men. still. Um, a lot of the challenge with that is because commercial real estate, it is, you know, basic format is a commercial or sorry, is a commission based job. You are hundred percent eating what you kill feast or famine. There's no benefits. There's no um, mat leave. There's no EI unless you're, you know, contributing. Again, it depends how your company is is set up, but it can be a deterrent for for many women to get into brokerage because, you know, you want those those benefits and you want to be able to feel like when you want to have a child that you can go have your child and come back and then you'll still have an option an opportunity. And at the end of the day, like. Your, your income is pipeline driven. So if you're taking a year off of work, you, you're coming back and you have no pipeline unless you're part of a team that is structured in a way that, you know, brings you back in. It's, it's a really tough issue. And I mean, I don't have the answer for it. I, I certainly don't know that the way to work through that. But that is the real challenge with the commercial real estate brokerage industry is that like, how do you how do you leave and come back, especially because the deal cycle like in residential, a deal cycle is, you know, can be 30 days, it can be really tight and quick, and you can get back into it and start making money within, you know, a couple months. Commercial, like, I think our, my average transactions, like, what, six months? Like, I feel like everything takes a long time. And so you really have to be putting in, like, the hours and the layers and layers of communication um, to, to get deals done, you know, as we're talking to with our, our presence and our social media and our cold calling. So, you do sometimes see that, you know, when, when people leave to have children, when women leave to have children, it's like, man, that's a mountain to climb to get back into the industry. So, I mean, that's, I guess, me being transparent is that there are some things that I, I don't know the answer. I don't know if that needs to come from the corporate, like from the, from the top. And maybe there's some kind of program that allows it so that women feel like they can come and work and leave and then still come back and have income. But I mean, it'd be like if you took a year off, Chad, like, what would you do? Would you like you start from zero in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think that there is a perfect answer on that either. But I, from my own experience, and I've been doing this for a long time, uh, some of the best brokers I've ever met are women. So I, 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 I there are obstacles that like you mentioned about mat leave and stuff that people have to work around. But I wouldn't say let that discourage you because there's 
and JT had a great point on here. I bet the average woman outsells the average man. Uh, and and I, I would agree with that. I, I think if you take, there's fewer women in the industry, but if you take on average, I, I agree. Uh, I, I think that women, there's a huge place in this uh, industry for women and uh, ethnicities too. It's, it's long been like the old white man. And I started when I was a, a young white man, but it, it, I'd still like to see a lot more ethnicity, diversity in general. And I think that there's, I think there's room for it. So to, on JT's point, let's move on to the next topic here. A couple of uh, great questions that have come in. Uh, Afzal, if you could pull up uh, that comment, Wyatt. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about your earlier part of your career? What steps you took to learn your market? Like you had an actual advice on how to create content as a beginner. So I, great question. So I guess he's, he's saying like you broke down that content creation really good. Uh, along that same line of thinking, how did you start your career? As far as learning the market and, and kind of gr growing my knowledge base, is, I, I think that's where I'm going to take the question. Yeah, I, I um, think so. And, and Afso can put in a follow-up question if, if we don't get that right. But that, that's how I'm interpreting it as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, it's, it's not so different than it might have been 20 years ago in a sense where a lot of learning your market is literally kind of boots on the ground, dri like driving your market, learning who the tenants are, learning who the players are in your market. Um, I think when I started, uh, yeah, it's extremely overwhelming. You're, you're like, oh my God, there's how many businesses? There's how much vacancy? What is vacancy? Like, I don't even know what this means. And so a lot of it is learned over time and, and it's, it's, following the the deals that are happening which you can 100% guarantee you'll find on LinkedIn <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's driving around you know the areas of of the city that have the uh, developments that you'd like to work on so if it's for us it's industrial so for us it's predominantly the northwest and the southeast and then some of the periphery markets so it's like okay hey, i i'm going to i'm going to just start with um Northwest Edmonton. Let's just pick a quadrant and go kind of drive it. Look at who the tenants are. Look what type of space they have. Tour through some buildings if you have, uh, you know, partners within your company that have listings that you can go see them. If you have, I mean, mentorship obviously is a huge thing, which has probably been talked about at length in your in your podcast. But having people that can kind of help to bridge the gap a little bit and learn about. Um, you know, what is a dock door? What is a grade door? What is the ceiling height? What is clear height versus regular height mean? What is the crane? How does the crane work? This, what's a bridge versus a jib? Or, or whatever it may be for your asset class. Um, I think also, I don't know, it's, it's looking at the vacancy rates, like looking at those, every one of the big firms um, produces a quarterly report. So, you know, Cushman, Colliers, JLL, CBRE, Avison, they would produce a quarterly report that you I, I read those too I'm like mm -hmm. they have a team of researchers that they're paying a lot of money for that are producing um, stats and kind of overview broad scope bird's eye information of your market for specific asset classes make sure you know what those what those say and what the stats are and and understand you know what's going on in your market um, what else would I say uh, articles again, like we read a lot of articles on the commercial real estate field. Um, there's there's uh, companies like Renex, R E N X. They send out you know articles once every day or two that have tons of Canadian-based commercial real estate news. 
uh, Western Investor, uh, obviously your my blogs and content. So I would just be like absorbing as much information as I can on whatever specific type of asset or, or industry that you're in. And, and again, then starting to say, okay, well, what, how can I piece like this question with this question together to now add value on this question? And now, now you're a value provider. Um, speaking with businesses, I mean, in our industry, cold calling is, is a major component of what we do. And, and I, it's better if it's warm calling, but we're doing a lot of calling. Speaking to businesses, like that is a really easy way to start to get to know what's going on. Like, how are the truckers being impacted by gas prices? How is, uh, you know, the oil and gas, like the, the energy producer being impacted by what's going on in, in Grand Prairie? You know, they're going to tell you things from their perspective, which then makes it easy so that the next trucking company you call, you're like, oh, I heard the gas prices are blah, blah, blah. I heard you guys are short on labor supply right now. It's been tough to hire laborers. And that gets the conversation going. Um, another thing, too, I think you've probably talked about this as well. I'm trying not to cover everything twice, but. If you don't have any listings or properties to work from when you start, which you, you wouldn't, um, literally take any listing and just start calling calling people on it. Especially if it's someone within your company, I can guarantee you they would love it if they had an extra person cold calling on their listing to try and generate um, you know, tenants or purchasers, especially if it's something that's been sitting for a while. You might even find that a broker would say, why don't you come work on this with me, but you're responsible to call every business in that you know, section of the city. And that, if, as a broker, for me, if, if someone came to me and said, this, this building's been sitting for five months, you haven't had, you haven't sold it yet. Like, can I work on this with you? And I will call 300 businesses and make sure that they know about it. 100%. I would love that, right? Like, that takes a weight off my shoulder of things that I need to be doing for that property. And that, as a broker, we should, doing, should be doing for every property that we have and what we're telling our, our owners that we're doing. So if you have someone to work on that with you, but yeah, as, as a new person, take that listing, start calling people, see how their space is. And you'll be, you'll be surprised how quickly you'll uncover leads and people that are um, looking for, again, information and asking those questions that you might have the answers for already, or, or maybe space and you can kind of jump on it. Right. You just gave like four weeks worth of coaching in like five minutes for the, the first time agent on how to get up to speed very quickly. There's a, there's a ton of great tips in there. And I echo everything you said. I, th I think that there's a ton of info in there. Uh, thanks for the, the kind comment there uh, about learning. Hopefully I, I can help with, with some stuff on this. I, that kind of is my goal is I just, I have experts on like Bronwyn uh, to, to share as much information as, as I, I can uh a couple more points that came up uh Bev or max greetings from switzerland hello in switzerland i uh, just wanted to say thank you for the great content multi-family broker looking to transition to industrial and i'm learning a ton thanks to you cheers max max uh you'll love industrial it's uh it, as you can see the passion with bronwyn and myself is just a awesome industry so i'm glad that uh, what we're putting out is helpful and and uh, i i encourage you to reach out or ask any questions i always love talking about this stuff and i'm going to leave a uh, contact information for brown after i know brown loves talking about this too uh constantine how do you feel about costar you <laughs> do you want to take this one or do you want do you want me to handle this one I mean, we could both chime in do you want to start my my answer can be pretty simple in that i don't we don't use, i don't use costar um, I, I've seen companies like whether it was our company that I'm at now or with Cushman where we'll run tests. And at the end of the day, um, 
the information has, it's hard because we are quite, uh, we're not, we don't have the freedom of public information that you would see in the States. In the States, I've seen CoStar and it, it looks to be quite informative, data, data driven, and you get a lot of information from it. Personally, I don't know if we're there yet in Canada um, as far as getting the value out of it. But again, I don't use it. So I, I can't really answer it. Or maybe that is my answer. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's a fair answer. We do use it. Uh, we've we've had it for a few years now. I, I, I want to be delicate on it. Uh, I would say the information is good. It's like you mentioned, it's not complete. I know even uh, markets in the States and like in established markets where CoStar has been there for a long, there's still gaps in the information. I don't necessarily think that that's anyone's fault as much as the fact that the market is just so fluid, right? Like the vacancy rate can be 5% today. And then if a tenant goes and leases a million square foot facility, maybe tomorrow it's 4% uh, until that data becomes publicly known. What is the vacancy rate? Is it 4% because one guy knows that that's what it is? Or is it 5% because what CoStar or other data providers are saying that it is? So I, I think that the market just moves so fast. There's so much information that doesn't get shared, whether there's confidentiality reasons, whether there's just people that don't want to cooperate and participate. I will say that uh, CoStar is very expensive. And even from the time that we started joining until we were renewing now, it has gone up considerably. And that's been a constant comment that I've heard from uh, uh, colleagues that I know in the States is that they, the price just keeps going up. It's a software provider. The interface is fantastic. It's one of the cleanest interfaces I've seen some gaps in in information and data and it's expensive and the price keeps rising so i'm neutral on it i don't know if i'd necessarily recommend it or discourage someone from it uh if the price was less it'd make it a lot easier for me to recommend it's just it's very very expensive software and they keep seem to increase in the price which as a customer you just can't feel good about it. Funny story, actually, I canceled my Netflix recently, uh, which was like $16 a month or something, uh, which I didn't even notice it coming off my credit card. I was just angry as a customer that they, I'd been with Netflix for probably a decade and they just kept increasing the prices to the point where I just thought they're treating the customer like a, like just a profit center where they can keep increasing the prices and people don't notice. So I canceled Netflix, a $16 a month payment just because I was mad about that. So I, maybe that summarizes how I feel about uh, a co-star for the foreseeable future. We still plan on using it though. Uh, other questions that came in, I think uh, a warehouse investor, uh, what's the best way to find a good broker? Great question. How would you answer that, Bronwyn? The best way to find out. So I guess if I was selling, if I had a building and I was looking to find someone that was selling, most people usually ask their close. At the end of the day, people want referrals. They want a recommendation from someone that they trust who has maybe used a commercial broker in the past and that's had a good experience. And so... I mean, it's like anything, if you can get a referral, like if you want to go, like I'm, I'm redoing the concrete at my house right now. Like it, I would prefer to use someone that I know has done a good job for somebody else than just call someone out of, out of, you know, I was going to say the phone book, but we don't, <laughs> we don't you're really dating yourself. Were, were you born in 1960? Yeah. Back when I was a kid, <laughs> um, when you look on Google. So what I would say is I know definitely people use Google and if they just need, you know, a, a recommendation, I'll just Google it. But 
usually it's from recommendations and it's from relationships. And again, that goes back to this, which is um, whether it's this or whether it's doing deals or whether it's cold calling and being, again, a value provider to businesses that you're trying to work with in the future. Um, it's, it's how can I get my name out there as an expert in this field and make sure that when someone does have that requirement that they that they call me and they're not just looking on google mm -hmm. for that top you know top hit um fortunately i mean edmonton i would say is a fairly it's like a big small city which is why we love it so much um but it's it's a, a smaller market in a sense where I, I, it's a large industrial market i'm, I'm kind of saying two things at the same time here but you can call pretty much any owner of any business in our city and get through to the owner, which is amazing. And so a lot of times it's just, a lot of times it's luck. A lot of times it's just like hours in and again, making sure you're top of mind. So if I was, I mean, I guess if I'm looking to sell a building and I've never used a commercial broker, I'm probably going to my close network of people. Um, and maybe I have a, a buddy that owns a building that's similar to what I, I, I'm trying to sell. And maybe I call them because they might have experience with it. Um, so that's, I guess, the selling side. And then if I'm the person that's trying to be the good broker that gets found, it's getting my name out there in as many mediums as possible. Like, again, I think you and I can both agree that we don't just use social media. Like, this isn't my this isn't my way to get business. I don't use LinkedIn and, and Twitter and Instagram to, like, generate my business. Have I generated business from it? Absolutely. Is it the BL end all? No, you still have to make cold calls. You still have to make warm calls. You still have to network. You have to do everything. And so it's just a matter of like, what are all the things that I can do to make sure that when someone needs a service, like selling a building, my name is in their mouth or at least one of three people that's in their mouth. Yeah, yeah, great point. And and I guess I, one thing I'd add on that is don't be afraid to talk to a few different people. So I, I love the idea of asking like a lawyer, an accountant, or somebody that you know well that's already uh, that you already have a relationship with. Just ask them if they have a recommendation for a broker. Uh, perhaps you do find somebody uh, on on LinkedIn or some social media platform, and and you reach out to them as well. Just don't be afraid to talk to a few people because ultimately you want to find the right fit for you. And that, that it's a two way street. It has to be a right fit for the broker or two, of course, but it's it's a longer term relationship than most people give it credit for, because it can take several months to sell a building. If you've got multiple properties or if you're a company that's looking to go into multiple locations, you could be establishing a multi-year, multi-decade relationship. So instead of just going off a recommendation with someone that you don't click, maybe you find someone that you don't know, but you have a better experience with. Uh, I, I think it's, it's equally important to have somebody that is competent and capable of doing the job, but you also need to find someone that you can have a long-term relationship with. So a, a great question for that. Great answer, Bronwyn. Uh, I think we still have time. Do we, uh, can we go a couple of minutes? I thought there was one or two more questions in there, Wyatt. Are you good, Bronwyn? Fine. I'm good to keep going. Okay. I, keep thought, I thought we might've had a couple other uh, comments in there. Uh, was there one from Chris on there? I think, uh, Chris Davies joined in, who, who we did a podcast interview with Chris one time as well. Uh, I think it's really the team and the principles you're working with more than a corporate program that facilitates coming back more effectively. So I think he, I think he's probably going back to that comment we had about going on mat leave. And, and I agree. I think that that does actually provide a very uh, a valuable solution. Coincidentally, we have a, a, a 
a woman on our team who is on mat leave right now. And it, it has worked out great because we were able to adapt the business that she had and, and she can go on mat leave comfortably knowing that she still has a position whenever she wants to come back. She's a great broker. We'd welcome her back with open arms. Uh, but if she didn't have that team, it, that does, does make it tough. So uh, great, great point, Chris. Uh, if, if you're on the right team and the right principals and partners, I think that that, that can really help it. Uh, Kelvin, uh, thanks for the question and joining in. Appreciate the point on simply sharing what you know and avoiding egos. Uh, the best place to work for and do business with are the ones who respect all questions and appreciate the need for discussion. Couldn't agree with you more, Calvin. I, I think you're spot on. I th and and Bronwyn, you can notice this, I'm sure, as well, is that there is ego in this business. And it, there's there's healthy ego and there's unhealthy ego. I, I like to think that like I, I'm the first one to make fun of myself. Like I like I wore a shirt that had coffee stains on it. Uh, like I, 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 in some of my videos, I do bloopers at the end where it's like 30 seconds of me just doing insane, stupid things. So I, I think there's like healthy ego as like confidence and you have, you know, that you've got the ability to help someone solve their problem, but it's the unhealthy ego that is, I think it's dissipating. I don't think it's as strong as it was when I first got in the industry in 2005. I think it's come down a lot from there. And, and it's probably just a cultural thing. It's probably just like the next generation being more cooperative and willing to share information. Uh, but what are your thoughts on that? Any, anything to add in on that? Yeah, I mean, I think like to be confident enough to call complete strangers and try and provide services to them, you have to have a bit of an ego or a bit of confidence to like feel comfortable doing that. It's not easy to do that. It doesn't feel good to be rejected all the time. Mm -hmm. So like you have to be able to kind of have that armor on that when you get those rejections that you're like, oh, it's not me. It's, it's something else. They're just having a bad day or whatever it is that you have to tell yourself. Um, but I, but I do think that the entire structure of the industry is definitely changing where like, I look at, you know, our peers in the industry and I would say like, like you and I, like, we're friends, like we're, we're at different shops. We would technically be competitors in a sense, but like, mm -hmm. I think of us more of as collaboration partners, like we're going to do a deal together and I want to make sure that I can call you and we can have a conversation and we can work through it as opposed to, you know, trying to strong arm you into something and, and, and make you pissed off at me so that, you know, yeah, we'll get, maybe I'll, I'll win on this deal, but I can tell you who's not going to call me on the next one. You're not going to call me on the next one. Right. And I think all of us are kind of looking at this long range career and saying like, I want to work with these people and, and enjoy myself and not feel like I have to, win on every single cent and dollar which is it was the way it was done and i and i don't fault you know some of the older brokers because that's how they were trained right like it, that's how you had to do it. it every single cent did matter and 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 losing or gaining an, a foot made a difference to them right and you i think there was a lot more um kind of going behind each other's backs and 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 all that kind of stuff that happened whereas again now like I really think that, I mean, I certainly think this way, I know you think this way, where it's it's about the bigger picture. It's like, what is the long range plan for my career here? And like, I wanna enjoy working with the people in the industry and I do. And like, I work very hard to have good relationships with with everybody because at the end of the day, like we're friends, like we, we all wanna do well. And there's enough, there's enough business out there for us all to do very well. So we don't need to be like chomping on each other that way. Yeah, yeah good, good point. And you're right, we, we are technically competitors, but it, that might even seem strange that I, I invited a competitor on and I've heaped all this praise on you because it is, it, you have earned all that. You you are an awesome broker. You put out a ton of great content. And and that's what I do want to wrap up with is, is 
encouraging people to reach out with you on LinkedIn. I don't know if Beverly is usually quite awesome at putting uh, links for LinkedIn. If she, if she can still put that in, if she's still on, that'd be fantastic. If not, I'll put that in the comments. I think it's also in the description. I encourage people to reach out to Bron and you can tell that she has, is a wealth of knowledge and she's willing to, to share information as she can. Uh, and then also check out her website because she's putting out some awesome articles uh, on, on a macro level uh, overview on on what's happening in uh, industrial real estate. So I'd encourage you to check out our website and our LinkedIn. I'm going to end with this comment from uh, JT. There's plenty of sand on the beach. Being friends with your competitor and sending leads back and forth is awesome. JT, I couldn't agree with you more. I want to thank everybody for joining in. Uh, if you got any value from this, please hit that like button. And more importantly, go check out Bronwyn's LinkedIn. Bronwyn, thanks again. Always a pleasure.